Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you here today. I know a lot of people have been sick throughout the week, myself included. Um, so, uh, y- y'all, what? I don't, I don't know. Y- y'all look relatively good uh, for having. I mean, some of you are a little pasty, uh, like me, but but I'm glad that you're here. That you're here with me today. I've been thinking a lot this week about how we uh, explain to other people kind of who God is and, and what God has done in our lives. And there, there are, you know, some things that, that maybe we have thought throughout our lives and maybe we've even told people through our lives about how God works and what he does. And, and, and maybe, at least this is definitely true for me, the way that I thought God worked when I was, say, 25 was very different than the way that I, that I understand God working now. And I wonder if I had the opportunity to sit down with 25-year-old Bryce, uh, what that conversation would look like, uh, what I would tell him, I mean, particularly about faith in God and how past me <laughs> is going to see God working and moving. But then there's something that, you know, really came to mind as I was thinking about this, and that is I could do the best job ever talking to my past self, you know, once I got over the fact that future me is talking to past me. I could do a really great job of explaining all of this, but there are things that past me is not going to understand until he lives it out. There there are things that that 25-year-old me just won't get. I mean, I could, like, draw things and, like, make charts and all this different stuff to try to explain about who God is and who God has become in my life. But the fact is, the reason why I know those things now is because I have lived through whatever has brought me these last 20 years. We started out this series uh, about Jacob by talking about how we have certain expectations of God and how sometimes those expectations are not met. And, and really one of the, the most basic the premises that, that we entered in was that it's, it's easy for us as Christians to believe that when God is on our side, that means that God will make things go the way we want them to, or that God will work so that things happen in our favor. And and we talked a lot early on about the frustration we feel over things big and things small. When we have asked God for a specific outcome and we don't get that specific outcome. How would we explain this process to those who don't believe in God? How would we explain what it means that God is with us? But that doesn't mean everything is always going to go our way. How do we explain that, you know, because there are some people that talk about God this way. All right, so ju- just to be fair, 
that obstacles, that God, God removes obstacles, that God resolves conflict. And there are some that take it farther that those who have faith in God should be healthy, wealthy, and happy. So what about everyone else who knows that that's not true of life, but still knows that God is with them and loves them and gives them victory? There are moments that are easy for us to kind of get over if it doesn't go our way. But there are other moments that are much more difficult, right? Whether it's related to our health or to our finances or to our future or any of those things, it is difficult even for those of us who have been through things and have seen God's faithfulness play out in a million different ways to sit back and say, but I trust you, God, right? Well, that was a disaster, but I trust you, God. And, and, and sometimes maybe we, we think, because, you know, we, we, we tend to sometimes think in terms of outcomes, right? So something is bad, which means God will make it good. We are losing at something, so God will give us victory, like it's one or the other. As if this is what it means for God to overcome in our lives and anything else doesn't, that doesn't fit that mold, we, but we struggle with it. Because this is what we want and this is what we've asked for. And that's the thing about the Jacob story, you see, is that the Jacob story has challenged our notion of what life with God is supposed to look like. Jacob's life was extraordinarily messy. Now, did he make it messy? Yes. Did people around him make it messy? Yes. Did God make it messy? However you want to put it, the answer to that question is yes. God allowed it, made it, it was messy, and God knew it, and God didn't fix it. Have you noticed that? What has God fixed so far in the story of Jacob? I mean, Jacob is a different person, as we talked about last week. He is now Israel. But what has God fixed? Nothing. Do you see that? Nothing. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> Jacob didn't become Israel because God fixed everything for him. Do you see that? Jacob didn't become Israel because God gave him victory after victory after victory after victory. He came, became Israel in a different way. And his life has been full of conflict. Some of it, as we said, was self-inflicted. Some inflicted by others. Some was initiated by God. But the one thing that we've seen is whether it looks like a win or not, God is knee-deep in all of it. He is right there in all of it. Even though it continues to be messy and sometimes disastrous, God is right there. But this whole story you know, of Jacob started out 
with him being a child of conflict. And we saw that conflict manifest itself in his relationship with his brother. And all of it has been building to this moment in the story where Jacob needs to return home. But of course, returning home, there was one huge Esau-shaped problem. Jacob took advantage of Esau in a moment of his weakness and took his birthright. He also deceived Isaac and took Esau's blessing so that by the time Jacob was running for his life, Esau had very little left to hold on to that could be his. And make no mistake about it, Jacob was in fact running for his life. Now, God, at this point in the story, has told Jacob that he needs to return home. So, how can he constructively go back home? With everything that has happened and all that he's done, what can he possibly say or do to overcome the damage that he knows he caused? It had to have seemed to be an impossible situation for him. Now, there's something we have to get back to that we can't ignore from the very beginning of the story. Who decided that Jacob was going to get the blessing and the birthright? Who decided that? God did. From the beginning, he told Jacob's mother that it's going to be the youngest and not the oldest. God reversing this. So as we look back at this, we have to think, well, God, that was a pretty interesting way to figure all this out, right? For you to work this, this out. And now he's telling Jacob to go back home. So on his way back, as we talked about last week, Jacob figured out the best way to keep his family safe, to split them up. He sent gifts ahead in the form of lots of animals, and he staggered them out so that as Esau came closer, more animals would arrive as gifts for him. And then God comforted Jacob by wrestling with him all night long, permanently crippling him and giving him a new name. That is also not how we think God should work. And that new name Israel means in one sense God rules or God preserves but here it is attributed to a different form of that word, which means to strive, to struggle, and to fight with God, which, as we said, has multiple meanings, which I think we have all found to be true in the story of Jacob, that Jacob literally fights with God. He and God have it out. Jacob also has God fighting with him, alongside One of the hardest lessons we may have to learn from this story, as we've seen it and we look back on everything we've seen, and this is not the last week. Next week will be the last week. But this is going to close this part of the story. But one of the hardest things we have to see is that God used all sorts of different conflicts in Jacob's life to move him along to the person he wanted to be. And, and the apex of this story, which is not, as we said last week, Jacob and Esau reuniting, it's God and Jacob having it out in the middle of 
of the wilderness is direct Jacob's direct conflict with God and refusing to let go. So it tells us that in the messy life, that struggle or conflict is not only a part of life, but it is a necessary part of our ever-growing relationship with God. Because whether you are the heel, like the heel grasper Jacob, or you are like the impetuous Esau, or you are like the scheming Rachel, whoever you are in this story, everyone had conflict as a part of their relationship with God and their understanding of how God was going to carry out this thing in their lives. Are you with me? So after all this, Jacob still alone still had to go meet Esau. He had wrestled with God all night long. And, and the question that we have, because we've seen this, is at this point, he has just been given the name Israel, which means God strives or fights with him. So what is the advantage of having God on his side? And at this point, we might be able to say, answer better everything that God having on, it, that, that having God on his side doesn't mean. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Then what it does mean? Like, like we know it means, it means there's still going to be conflict. We, we know it means that, that there's still going to be growth that has to happen. And we know that based on the, how this story is gone, that God isn't going to say, strike Esau down. Like, that's not what victory means in this story. It's not what it looks like. So, it's undeniable that Jacob went to meet Esau in remarkably better condition than he deserved. He's got family, he's got animals, he's got all these things, he's coming home, he's been humbled before God, he has this new name, but what is God going to do for him in this moment? So here we go. The moment Jacob's life has been leading to, this reunion with Esau. God wants him to go. God doesn't make things easy for him. Every struggle leads Jacob to new ground. Esau still has to be angry. And so Jacob, as the story goes, finishes wrestling with God, gets his new name. The sun comes up. He stands up and looks out. And who does he see? Esau and 400 of Esau's men. It looks bad for him still. God is fighting with him, but here comes his brother with an army. From Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Now, Jacob's response to this moment speaks volumes to us because his new name was God Struggles With Me, and when trouble was right there, he immediately prepared for what? The worst possible outcome. That's what he's doing here. 
And it does not sit well with me how he decided to prepare for the worst possible outcome. He divided up their kids with their moms, and he put the kids and their servant mothers out front, Leah with her kids next, while Rachel and Joseph were last. And that move is pretty tacky. But it illustrates something important about struggle, I think, in our lives. Because would you say that at this point that Jacob was fairly like, confident in God? I, I would say yes. In fact, I would say he probably couldn't have had any more confidence in God than he had at that moment. After all, he had just spent all night with him and been given a new name. But in spite of that, you ready? Jacob's problems didn't go away. All of this family drama and trial that he had before God changed his name was still there. That's right. God didn't immediately heal Jacob and his relationship with his wives or his children. His family problems were still not resolved, which is why he put his favorite wife and son at the back. So that ostensibly, what's that word? I, I lost it. There it is. That word. So that when everything comes down to it, who will get killed first? And who will get a chance to run away? Right? That's why he stacked it that way. Is so that Rachel and Joseph are last, and if they need to get away, all their brothers and ants and whoever can die before them and they can run off. Now, do you think Leah was aware of that? Of course she was. Do you think his children were aware of it? Even if God is fighting with us, church, he doesn't fix all of our problems. And you are not going to find a verse in the Bible that says God fixes all of your problems because it doesn't exist. It's not there. God promises a lot of things, but he does not promise to fix all of our problems. Our problems, even if God is with us, will still be there. But the difference is that God is working through the problems with you. He is not working them out for you. He's working out the problems with you. He is not working them out for you. And that is what God has promised Jacob. I will fight with you. I will go along with you. So he stacked the deck this way so that his favorite wife and child can, can, can be safe, but then what does he do? We got to give him credit for this. He goes out in front of everyone, and he bows down seven times before he reaches Esau. So, Big question, right? What will Esau do? This is the moment. The angry brother, this guy who was so reactionary in the past and wanted to kill his brother, made threats against him. Pick it up in verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. All that buildup for this. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. 
Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was, bu- that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. All the buildup, the fear, the anxiety was leading to two brothers hugging in the wilderness. There was no fight. There was no blood. There were not even any angry words. There was only relief, forgiveness, and acceptance. And and we see that leading up to this moment twice now. Jacob thought that when Esau met him, he was going to kill his wife and children, his wives and children. And Esau, when he meets them, simply wants to meet his family. Who are all these people? I'm your uncle Esau. Harry's a goat. Esau didn't even want to keep the gifts that Jacob had sent. Jacob had to beg him to do so. And can I just say that this is not the outcome that I expected? And there is only one reason why this awful conflict could have worked out this way, and that is because God worked it out in both of them, Jacob and Esau. Let's look at how this happened. First of all, can we just recognize that Esau is not what we thought he would be? He is gracious and kind. And for all the worrying that Jacob has done about his brother, Esau is living his best life in this moment. In fact, though he has been left out of the story almost entirely, He acts as one who knows the graciousness of God. Do you see that? Which leads us to something that we might have never considered in this story. For everything that God was doing in Jacob, what was God doing in Esau? For everything, all the moves that God had made, with the one that he had chosen, what was he doing in Esau's life all of these years? And years and years had passed, and during those years, Esau's house had grown and he had prospered. He had three wives and seven sons. He had enough animals and stuff that he didn't feel the need to take things from his brother. And he was not going to be Israel. That was made clear. But Esau himself had become in part, his own nation, his own, the, the leader of his own people, which would later be known as Edom. And he recognized, interestingly enough in this moment, that he had enough. 
He had been blessed and he did not need more. Which is pretty remarkable considering that his brother took everything from him. These animals are the least that Jacob could do. But Jacob says, no, 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 really, it's okay. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't need it. I've got plenty. In Genesis chapter 36, verses 7 through 8, which won't be up here now, it talks about Jacob and Esau's camps. And here's what it says. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. That happened before Jacob came back. So by the time Jacob comes back, Esau is living in Seir with this great wealth. And so he has been blessed so much in the time that Jacob has been gone, he doesn't even want to try to handle these extra animals. He's... He's got enough. And then when they get in the same place, they had both done so well that the land literally could not support all of their animals if they stayed together. It's a lot of animals, I'm imagining. But beyond all of that, the Esau was becoming his own nation, that he had more than he ever needed, that he had been blessed by God, that he was able to show grace. We see that he has changed as a person because he is no longer reactionary and impulsive. But even more remarkably, he does not seem to have harbored any bitterness toward his brother. And nowhere else in the story do we see an indication that Esau is still secretly mad at Jacob. It's not there. So Esau has learned all of this time to do what? To forgive. And to not, this is important, to not let his life be dominated by the injustice that Jacob carried out against him. Do you see that? Something has happened in his life, church, that we are not privy to, but that allowed him to move past the injury and the hurt that his brother committed upon him and allowed him to respond with grace and goodness. That's remarkable. Given the direct nature of what Jacob had done to him. And Jacob says he learned something about God through the reaction of Esau, although it seems a little like he's laying it on kind of thick within the middle of the story, which maybe he is. But I don't know that we should overlook those words. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favor favorably. What, what we're seeing is that it wasn't just the fact that Esau came out and met him. It was Esau's reaction. And when Jacob experiences Esau's reaction, no bitterness, just weeping and hugging and um, whatever they said to one another in that moment, Jacob reflects that in this moment of forgiveness, he sees the face of God. Is it possible? Is it possible that Jacob understood God more fully 
through Esau. Is it possible? I think so. Because the one thing that Jacob has not had to go through with God is a reckoning. That moment where he has to say, I've been all these things. I mean, he's already acknowledged that he is not deserving of what God has for him. But he hasn't had that reckoning because the most real reckoning in his life comes from whom? Esau. And when he met Esau, he experienced the forgiveness that God had been extending to him all along. For who you are is not being held against you. Listen, even if you are the chosen one who God fights alongside, that doesn't mean that you are the only person that God is working in. And too often, we are so fixated on what God is going to do in us that we forget to even pay attention to what he's doing in others. And God is much bigger than Jacob and his messy family, you see. It's not as though God were just centrally located over Jacob during all these years. No, he was still God of the universe, the creator of the world. And God worked through someone else besides Jacob. I love that Esau ran down the road to embrace him. Who does that remind you of? Reminds us of the prodigal son, right? That the son who had wasted all of his father's wealth, had, had moved so powerfully against him, is looking for him and runs down the road. Jacob didn't deserve the forgiveness of Esau, but Esau gave it to him anyway. And Jacob, I have to believe, had a new appreciation of who God is. So, Jacob went home, right? No, he didn't. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Jacob didn't go back with Esau. Why? Well, based on his comments, it kind of makes it look like he wasn't so sure this was legit. 
But that's our reading into it of who Jacob used to be and who Esau used to be. Let me offer you a different perspective. First of all, Esau lived in Seir, which is not home. Do you remember where home is? It's Bethel. So Jacob has made his own camp, his own place. And he was not in the home of Isaac and Rebekah. And for reasons we don't totally know, Jacob decided not to go back with him. Instead, he established his own home outside of Shechem and even bought the land so that what? He would have his own place where his family could grow. And the name means El is the God of Israel or Mighty is the God of Israel. Though they reunited and everything seemed to be forgiven, Jacob and Esau have different lives now. They have different paths. They are two nations. They are Israel and Edom. And their future does not lie together but apart. Now, why do I bring that up? Does resolution mean that Jacob and Esau need to live in the same camp and have dinner together every night? No, it doesn't. That's what we think it should mean, right? Look, they can still spend Passover together. Well, Passover hasn't happened, so they can't do that. They can still spend time together. They can still do things, but what, what do we see? They're, they're living separate lives, and they go their separate ways back to their homes. We know that they are reunited later at the death of their parents, but their future does not lie together. Okay, so I think that there are a lot of practical things that we can take from this story. Uh, if you haven't already been kind of confronted with a few of them at this point, uh, stay awake now. <clears throat> Number one, and just most basically, God is with you and God does fight with you, but that does not mean your problems will go away. And even after God powerfully demonstrated that he was with Jacob, Jacob still had problems and things were still funky. And this is part of what now me knows better than 25-year-old me. Is that just because God is moving and working in my life, it doesn't mean that everything that's hard or has been injured is going to go away or be healed. It just doesn't mean that. I think, I've, I think I've told you this story before, but after uh, I, was, I went through my deep depression and um, I came back to church and I started preaching and, and, and I was talking about depression and I was talking about how my life had changed, how my perspective had changed, how I understood God to be different. And um, I preached this series, I think it was like 12 weeks, and, and so I was about three weeks in and someone came up to me and said, um, you know, you've talked about how your relationship with your family was damaged and like things that went kind of wrong and when are you going to tell them that everything has been fixed? And I said, well, it hasn't been. Well, don't you think they need to hear that God heals our hurts? And I said, yes, but Fixing that is not how God healed my hurts. So do you want me to tell them 
that God has healed my hurts and the way that he's done it? Or do you want me to tell them that God has made everything okay? Because one is true and the other is not. Just because God is with us, it doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly. But you know what? It's, it's okay. It's okay. Jacob still becomes Israel. God doesn't promise us a conflict or trouble-free life. He promises to be with us in the middle of conflict, which makes the outcomes of those conflicts potentially better than not having God with us at all. Number two, God is doing more than what he's doing in you. And this is a really good thing. I made it sound like a bad thing, (laughs) but it's a really good thing. Because God is doing more than you can even imagine in the lives of those around you and even in the lives of those with whom you are in conflict. God might be working on them just like he's working on you. And isn't that a wonderful thing? That it isn't left up to you or me to fix, to fix all this stuff. Isn't it wonderful that God is constantly using the things that are happening in our lives to change who we are and how we react and respond and treat people in this world. And lastly, there are scars from the things that have happened to us and they cannot be wiped away. But the scars remind us of how God was faithful to us in the midst of conflict because the mark might still be there, but the wound has healed. The wound is healed. And scars are a reminder to us of the things that we need to keep in mind as we move on in life. In church, there are things we didn't know before we had these scars and it wasn't until the wounds were inflicted and healed and left their mark that we understood God in a different way and that also is a good thing look at who Jacob was at the end compared to how he started and look at how Esau was at the end compared to how he started They could not have gotten to where they were without wounds healing and the reminder of all that had happened to them. What's all that mean and say to us? Personally, I think we'd be a bunch of jerks if God gave us victory every time we wanted it. I do. I don't think we would look very much like God or like his son Jesus if God gave us win after win after win. It's not true to life and it's not true to a growth experience. If we want to grow and become like Jesus, 
then we must struggle to get there. We will find ourselves in conflict with family, with friends, with God himself. But what we will find at the end is that perhaps the result was never what we would have imagined. But when we look back, we don't see some sort of smooth highway that just guided us right to the point we are. We see a bumpy road curving back and forth. And we see how God traveled with us down that road and has brought us to the point we are now. And I, for one, am grateful that I am not the same person I was when I was 25. Amen? Because God now is way bigger than God then. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are a God who is with us in the middle of struggle and conflict. And God, while we might desire a struggle and conflict-free life, we so clearly see in Jacob that it is the struggle and the conflict that shape us into the kind of people that look more like you. God, we confess that it is hard when you don't give us the wins we are looking for. But God, we are grateful that you are with us anyway. In Jesus' name, amen.